This is a surprise edition of of you from the couch. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this is not usually a time of the year where we're doing a lot of podcasts. This is kind of the time in between the end of the football season, but before the baseball season is really real at this point, we got about six weeks until opening day. So this is not typically the time that I am used to recording shows. But I will tell you. Uh, enough has happened in the world of college football in the last week or so that I felt like I just needed to co- to put out an episode. Not sure how long we'll go today, but there's two big things that we're going to have to talk about. First, a change at the offensive coordinator position for the University of Georgia. Todd Munkin has left the university for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, it was about minutes later that it was announced that Mike Bobo was going to be named the new offensive coordinator, uh, the new old offensive coordinator, as it were, at the University of Georgia. So obviously everybody has got some big thoughts and big feelings about that. We'll talk about it. And then the news came in at the end of last week that Oklahoma and Texas had uh, struck a deal with the Big 12 that would allow them to leave the Big 12 before the grant of rights was up in 2025. They left about $100 million on the table to get to the SEC starting in 2024. A lot of numbers in there. Here's what it means. The upcoming season is going to be exactly what we've been dealing with for the last few years, East and West and uh, SEC championship games and kind of lame schedules where Georgia plays Vandy every year. But it means in 2024, we are going to see dramatic changes, not only to the SEC and their now official expansion, The Big Ten is expanding. The playoff is expanding. There's a lot that's going to be changing in 2024 in college football. And in a way, I think uh, I'm going to make the argument that 2024 is going to be year zero. There's going to be before 2024 and there's going to be after 2024 when you look at the history of college football. So I really appreciate you joining me today. I hope you enjoy the show. Let's get started. All right, we're going to start with uh, Munkin out and Bobo in. Um, it was Valentine's Day when this news came down, and you're talking about some ha- having some big feelings. Georgia fans uh, either hated this, were repulsed by it, or thought it was the worst thing that ever happened. I, I don't know that I really have seen any kind of positive thoughts coming out of this, so I guess I'm going to try to be the voice of reason here. Uh, Munkin... Let, let's let's start with him. He's interviewed for NFL jobs every every year since he got the UGA job. So it was pretty obvious that at some point uh, he was going to probably end up going back to the NFL. He's been an NFL coach. He's been a college coach. He's been a head coach in college, a coordinator in the NFL. You know, he kept he interviewed with Tampa, who he coached for before. He interviewed with Baltimore. I mean, you know, you, you don't interview with that many jobs unless you're actually interested in them right now. I think the opportunity to go coach Lamar Jackson in the NFL makes a lot of sense. And you can understand why an offensive coordinator would be interested in that opportunity. But there've been a lot of rumors out there lately from Georgia people that, Oh, well, he's just trying to drive his price up. That obviously was not the case. And the speed at which Kirby 
made the decision to go with Mike Bobo showed that A, he probably knew this was coming, and B, he already had a plan in place. He didn't just, you know, find the person that was closest to him and say, hey, will you be my offensive coordinator? So this wasn't a lack of choices. This was a definitive decision made by Kirby. So I I think the first thing we have to do is kind of deal with Munkin and his legacy because uh, while he did a wonderful job at the University of Georgia, uh, especially when it came to play calling, in-game play calling, he he's also the reason, the primary reason that it took so long for Stetson Bennett to be the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. He kept bringing other guys in. He he was enamored with JT Daniels' arm, even after um, or leading up to the national championship game and in the playoff. You know, he talked about how excited he was to work with Carson Beck and because he's such a great passer. So, you know, for all the success that Munkin had with Bennett and this offense in the last couple of years. You could tell that there was a part of him that was like, well, this just, this, it's going well, and we're happy about that, but this isn't the version of this offense that I want to run. I want a guy that can just sling it, and maybe Stetson wasn't quite what he was looking for. So I don't want to pretend, you know, after the fact that Munkin was perfect, but I also don't want to downplay how exceptional he was and how exceptional the offense was under him. Now, Let's kind of think about what we're talking about, because I think the feeling that Georgia fans associate with Todd Munkin is the modernization of the offense, which that is absolutely that coincided with his tenure. But that is not a coincidence. That's a causality. Kirby Smart, after the 2019 season, and if you'll go back with me for a minute and remember that 2019 was when LSU beat the ever-loving crap out of Georgia in the SEC championship game with that historic offense that led by Joe Burrow. That's when Kirby, after that season, let James Coley go. He was going to demote him, essentially, but he he went out and he decided, I want to go find uh, an offensive coordinator that I'm going to turn the offense over to and I, with the explicit purpose of modernizing the offense and becoming more pass-heavy, right? He had always wanted to ball control, run offense, but he, he saw what Burrow did, and he wanted to move in that direction. So he hired Munkin to do that. Um, and that's exactly what Munkin did. So Munkin did his job. He did it very, very well. Now, the false narrative that we're dealing with here, and I think it's a little bit of what our, our, our brains are kind of tricking us a little bit. Just because Kirby has hired someone that was the offensive coordinator at Georgia back in the 2000s, doesn't mean that he is going away from the modernization of the offense. And I think that's because Bobo was here before, it feels like we're regressing, right? It feels like we're going back to the past. There is no way that Kirby Smart, after winning two national championships this past year, scoring 65 points in the national championship game, you know, blowing out Oregon, blowing out LSU, all the scoring that this team did this past year, but you know, in the really the last two years, there's no way that he finds out that Munkin's leaving and he goes, you know what we need to do? We need to go back to like 2005 Georgia offense when I was the running back coach. That's that's what I want to do. Let me go hire Mike Bobo. What he did was he found somebody that he thinks he can trust to do the job to be a great recruiter, Mike Bobo, great recruiter, been on the recruiting trail this 
year already. He went out and found somebody that can do the job, but he's not changing the the desire and the philosophy that he wants Georgia to be an explosive offense. So a couple of things now that we kind of maybe hopefully have a little bit of context. Um, Aaron Murray is all over the record books at UGA for touchdowns, passing yards, single season, career, all of that. His offensive coordinator was Mike Bobo. So, again, we're just not going to be looking at a situation where Kirby has decided that he wants the offense to regress. Or, you know what, let's go back to trying to score just 27 points a game. I think that'll be fine. Um, The next part of this is Bobo was here last year. He's been with Monk, and he understands what these players do. He's been in an analyst role, which is actually probably, I mean, not the coaching of the players themselves, but probably very technical when you talk about cutting film and all of the things he was doing in that role. It's not like he didn't see what was going on. You know, we think back to run the ball, Bobo, Bobo. And, you know, when he took over for Mark Rick, it was, it, Georgia fans, if you're, if you're old enough to remember, it was a breath of fresh air. It seemed modern all of a sudden because we were throwing the ball. We were being more aggressive. It wasn't just sweep right and sweep left. And not that that's really what Mark Rick was doing, but it felt like an invigorating thing. You know, the one complaint I had with Bobo, uh, it was it was a complaint I had with Rick, and it's a complaint that continued with Bobo, is there was this tendency to try to outsmart the other guy or the other team rather than just doing what you do well. And so I think that if you want to be concerned about anything, maybe that propensity to get a little too involved in film study. And all right, in this situation, we typically do this. They think we're going to do this, so we're going to do that, right? Um, they're, they're, the famous example for me is there was a first and 10 at South Carolina. I guess it would have been 2013, but I might be guessing on that. And that sometime in that era, there's a first and 10 inside the 10-yard line of South Carolina. So it was a first and goal situation. Todd Gurley is your running back, and you never got the ball to Todd Gurley. In my mind, Todd Gurley should have gotten the ball four times. And yet, we tried a couple of little, a little quick play action, a little shovel pass, a little this, a little that. We did all these other things, end up settling for a field goal that we miss, and you end up losing that game. So that's the kind of stuff that would drive me crazy. But let's be honest, if that's the guy's worst sin, then we're going to be okay. The, the other thing that I want to focus on is that Bobo himself is not the same dude as he was. He left Georgia in 2014 to go be the head coach at Colorado State. He was there for a few years. He got fired. Since then, he's been the offensive coordinator at Auburn, offensive coordinator at South Carolina. He's had additional experiences. It's not like he was frozen in time in 2011 and we're thawing him out here to be our quarter or offensive quarterback our offensive coordinator in 2023. So let's understand that as a football coach, as a play caller, and as a person, Mike Bobo is not the same guy that was here before. So I don't think the visceral reaction that most Georgia fans seem to have had about this hire, I don't think it's appropriate. I don't think it's logical. I think it's just fans being fanatics, right? Now, does that mean that this is absolutely a great choice and it's going to work? Of course not. Um, But the things 
the, the, the biggest thing that Georgia fans need to buy into, and I, I'm not talking about buying in with our heads. I'm talking about buying in with our hearts, folks. The thing that we have to do is trust Kirby. This man has delivered two national championships, two SEC championships. We've won the Rose Bowl. We've run the Sugar Bowl. We've won the Orange Bowl. We've won the Peach Bowl. We've done so many spectacular things in the seven years that Kirby has been the coach. Let's trust him to make the right decision, and let's trust him to fix it if he doesn't. If this doesn't work, Kirby Smart will fire Mike Bobo. And I don't think it would take very long. Plain and simple. They're friends. There's there's pictures going around of, like on social media of them hanging out in college. And, you know, they're very, very good friends. But Kirby Smart is a maniacal person and he wants to win and he wants to keep winning. And at this point in his career, I believe he wants to be the greatest coach to ever coach the game. Now, he has a long way to go to get there, but he's not going to get there being buddies with his best friend instead of holding him accountable. When asked before the uh, Peach Bowl about his relationship with Kirby Smart, Todd Munkin said, well, he's he's my boss and I have a job to do. He treats me with respect. He gives me the opportunity to do my job. But if I don't do my job, he's going to fire me. And. That's exactly the relationship that Kirby will have with Mike Bobo. I think Mike Bobo knows that. I think that's why the press release that was sent out said that Mike Bobo was offered and accepted the position. Now, I know that's kind of odd wording. Like, we hired him. Should have been what it was. He was offered the job. He accepted the job. He's going to be the friend of Kirby Smart no matter what. But he has accepted the position of offensive coordinator for the two-time defending national championship, that comes with some responsibility, and I think Mike Bobo would understand that completely. Now, because everybody just went completely negative, I think there's one part of this that at least I have not seen reported yet, and that's that this could be really, really good for Georgia. Hear me out on this. Alabama has been the most dominant force in college football for the last 15 years, but Saban, year after year after year, has had to replace coordinator after coordinator after coordinator because they've all gone and gotten head coach jobs. And all those guys haven't all panned out in their next job, right? But you think about the guys that were coordinators for Saban that have gone on to be head coaches all the way back to Kirby and you you know you've got Sarkeesian at Texas right now you've got Jeremy Pruitt that didn't work McIlwain at Florida you got uh, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss that's just naming a few of them but a lot of coordinator turnover at Alabama this past year both coordinators are gone and they're replacing both coordinators that has been the theme and and that's why Saban has gotten so much praise for his ability to replace those key positions over and over and over and still maintain the high standard that Alabama has. Now, Kirby's done that on the defensive side of the ball, right? Mel Tucker goes, Dan Lanning goes, and it's just plug and play, and it just keeps going that way. But the offense, this is kind of the first time that the offensive coordinator position is having to be replaced with fear that it could get worse. Everybody loved to crap on Jim Chaney, and I completely understand why. I believe wholeheartedly that he cost us a national championship in 2018 with his conservative play call in the second half of the national title game against Alabama. 
I think he might have cost us another opportunity in the national championship in 2018 when he did the exact same thing again uh, in the SEC championship game against Alabama. So seeing Jim Chaney go, nobody was upset or worried about that. James Coley comes in, nobody was upset when Kirby was like, mm, this didn't work, we're going to go in a different direction. Now everybody has seen Georgia's offense play the way that it has the last couple of years, and we're all scared to death that it might not work. So again, if it doesn't work, Kirby's going to make – an adjustment, but trying to be positive, if it works, now you have a completely un-Alabama situation because you have two alums in Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp as your coordinators. And I don't know them. I'm not going to talk to them. They're not definitely not going to talk to me. But my perception at this point in the career, they've, they've been coordinators in other places. They've both been f- head coaches and fired. They're going to make a lot of money in these positions. They're at their alma mater. And and this positive way of looking at things, they're going to be winning. Where would they go? Why would they go? I think it's completely possible that if Mike Bobo works out, you could see stability at the coordinator position for Georgia with Will Muschamp, and Mike Bobo, you'd have other position guys, you know, the positional coaches coming in and out. Those guys are going to get opportunities. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see Brian McClendon get an opportunity to go be a coordinator somewhere else. You're going to see um, Glenn Schumann. You know, there was talk this year that he may go to Alabama uh, and, and be a coordinator. So it would put a lid on the guy, the other guys on the staff, but if George is winning, who cares? So you're going to see some positional coach rotation, but there's an opportunity here that for the next five or ten years – You could have the same head coach, the same offensive coordinator, and the same defensive coordinator. And when you're talking about that kind of consistency when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to just effectiveness year in and year out, you know, this year was already going to be a transition year because you were losing so much off the offensive line and you were losing Stetson. A new quarterback, a lot of changes on the line. Skill position guys kind of rotate in and out every year. That doesn't seem to really have a huge effect. Now we got a new coordinator. Go ahead and get it all out of the way. But can you imagine being able to recruit guys and say, hey, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere and meaning it and people believing that, whether it's 2024 quarterback Dylan Rayola, where it's 25, 26, 27, being able to tell these guys, hey, I'm here. I think, I mean, Georgia's recruiting can't get much better, I don't think, but it it's not going to drop off at all. And if this works with Mike Bobo, I think Georgia's going to be in a place where they can be extremely consistent. And I've been talking about the fact that we are in the good old days, right? Well, if this works and Bobo is your offensive coordinator for the next five plus years and Muschamp is your defensive coordinator for the next five plus years, we may just be seeing the beginning of the good old days. All right, let's uh, turn our attention to all the realignment. Uh, I want to start here. If you don't like realignment, I get it, but it's happening. So uh, just like the last segment, let's choose to look at the bright side of things instead of screaming at the tides to stop rolling in. Um, OU in Texas will be in the league in the SEC starting in 2024. As I mentioned in the open, that's the same year the Big Ten adds USC and UCLA. That's the same year the playoff expands to a 12-team format. So as a reminder for the 12-team format, very, very quickly, 
top six conference champions are going to get auto bids. The committee will then choose the other six teams. The committee will then rank the teams, the 12 teams, one to 12, uh, seed them. The top four seeds have to be conference champions. They will get buys, and then five will play 12, six will play 11, seven will play 10, and eight will play nine at the home stadium of number five, six, seven, and eight. The winners of that first round, I don't know what we're going to call all of this, right? But the winners of the first round then advance. You incorporate the top four teams. I'm not sure. I actually, as I was doing this, was wondering. I have not seen anything to see if this is going to be an NBA-style playoff or if it's going to be a NFL-style playoff. And so if you're not familiar, NBA, you set a bracket. One plays eight. The winner of one eight plays four five winner. In the NFL, the number one seed plays the lowest seed that's remaining. So it'll be interesting to see. So, you know, in that situation, what we're talking about is, let's say number 12 upsets number five. Well, with the number one seed that got a bye, would they play number 12? Or would they be locked into playing the winner of the 8-9 game and the number four seed would then end up playing the number 12 seed who upset number five. There's a lot of numbers there, but if you were able to follow that, I have not seen which method they're going to use. My guess is they will reseed and that at least for that first round, the number one seed would be guaranteed to play the lowest remaining uh, opponent. But I don't know about that. Well, we'll have to wait and see if that comes out at some point. Uh, but then either way, that'll set the tournament up and that's how it's going to uh, go. So there's kind of two pieces to this when we talk about the SEC realignment, uh, the schedule and then how the changes will affect the way the SEC is viewed in the new 12 team playoff era. So let's let's start with the schedule and start here. The fact that divisions will be gone. This is the last chance in 2023, the upcoming season will be the last time there will be an SEC East champion and an SEC West champion, and they will play in Atlanta for the SEC championship. Um, the 16-team conference is going to take the top two teams uh, at the end of the season. Those two teams, just no matter if they played in the regular season or not, the top two teams in the conference will play in the SEC championship game. Uh, presumably for the right to be one of those top four seeds, I would imagine most of the time, not every time, most of the time. Um, the tiebreakers, as we saw in the Pac-12, I, I I don't know what they're going to do, but all these tiebreakers are really, really weird. But the tiebreakers are going to become common knowledge amongst SEC fans because that's the way you're going to parse it out, right? So the the logical way this is probably going to happen is you're probably going to have, let's say, an 11-1 and team. They're the one. And then you got like four teams at 10-2. and two. And how you figure out which one of those 10 and two teams, because you're not going to have a head to head, um, you know, you can't have a head to head between four different teams. So however we figure all that out, that'll all come out relatively quickly, I would imagine. But that'll be the formats. Top two teams will just go straight to the SEC championship game. Um the reason that will be don't be done is because there's just no way to do a 16 team conference that has divisions. Um, we'll get to this a little bit more detail in a minute, but frankly, there's no way to do this well with a 14 team conference. And that's why the sec has not done it well these last few years. 
Big Ten already done away or will be doing away with divisions in 24. Uh, Pac-12's already done away with it. The uh, ACC did away with divisions the year it added Notre Dame in the COVID year. They've gone back to divisions. I, I don't know what the ACC is going to do, but I think it, they would be very, very wise to to make a similar move, even if they stay at 14. Um, just do away with divisions. Divisions are dumb. Um, as I was saying, the current model is so bad that even if you don't think the new model that I'm about to describe to you is good, it's definitely better than what we have. And if you want any reason, Georgia fans, I'm this is a complicated conversation. There's multiple articles that have been written on ESPN.com and The Athletic that kind of go all the way through this and talk about all the different uh, scheduling machinations and predictions and all that. I'm just going to really try to make this very usable for a Georgia fan, very kind of narrow to Georgia and how it's going to affect us. The current model is stupid because a and Texas A&M, has been in the conference since 2012. At the end of the 23 season, that will be an 11 full seasons that Texas A&M was a member of the Southeastern Conference. Georgia has never played at Texas A&M. They still have not. So, they were scheduled to have played at Texas A&M in 2024. My guess is they will probably keep that and they will go to Kyle Field for the first time in 2024. But the point is that in the 11 years that preceded A&M joining the SEC, Georgia played A&M the same number of times, one, in the 11 years before A&M was in the conference as they have in the 11 years that the A&M has been in the conference. Said another way, Georgia and Texas A&M don't play in the same conference. <laughs> they, they're, they're not friends. They're just acquaintances. They bump into each other. They know some of the same people, but they don't really have a relationship in any kind of way. And, and the reason that that is the case is because the SEC stuck with a seven-game schedule, or sorry, an eight-game schedule, when you had 14 teams in the league, which meant that, you had that one permanent opponent that the SEC will always keep to protect the Tennessee-Alabama game, to protect the Georgia-Auburn game. And then you had one other team from the other division that you would play every year. And it just takes forever to get through that other division when you're only rotating one spot. So the new method is basically flipping that completely on its head. And I, I'm being definitive about this. Technically, there are two proposals that are still on the table. Um, but the reason there's two proposals left is because they are completely different. One proposal is in a 16-team situation. You would either way, you got to add a ninth conference game, right? So if you keep the divisions, you'd have to realign the divisions because you're adding two teams in Texas and Oklahoma that would obviously have to be in the West. And at that point, you'd probably go ahead and just completely like scrap what you have done, put Missouri in the West as well, since, you know, I assume people at the SEC office own a map. Um, but once you do all of that, you've got two eight-team divisions, okay? Well, that means that's seven games, and then you have your permanent crossover unless you figure out a way to get Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia and Auburn all in the East, which could happen. You could, you could probably figure that out um, to protect all those rivalries. Then you could just go rotating through two. 
but they're not going to do that because that would take forever still to play everybody. What they're going to do is there's going to be three fixed opponents for every single team, and then you are going to rotate through the other 12 teams in the conference, six each year. So the way this will affect Georgia is this, okay? Georgia's fixed opponents are some of the easiest ones to figure out. Georgia's going to keep playing Florida every single season. They're going to keep playing Auburn every single season. And oddly enough, South Carolina is absolutely going to be the third team. Now, a lot of Georgia fans may be listening to this and going, South Carolina, what about Tennessee? Well, here's the problem. While South Carolina, and if you've listened to this podcast for a few years, you know this, while South Carolina is Georgia's like fifth or sixth top rival, Georgia is number two for South Carolina. So, uh, and, and, and that is excluding Clemson. So in the conference, there's nobody that South Carolina views as more of a rival than Georgia. So this is going to have to work for everybody, and South Carolina would not be okay pl- not playing Georgia every year. So those are going to be the three fixed opponents for Georgia. Um, again, if that makes you mad, let it go. It's not going to change anything. So the other 12 teams would be divided, and I, you know, who, who knows how they would divide this. But let's just, I have decided that you, you're kind of breaking this down on a four-year rolling basis, okay? So I've got a set of teams that Georgia would play home and away in years one and three, and then a set of teams that Georgia would play home and away in years two and four. So the way I broke it down, and I tried to do this kind of logically, but it may not be perfect, year one and three, Vandy, Ole Miss, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, Kentucky. Year two and four, Tennessee, Missouri, Mississippi State, A&M, LSU, Oklahoma. Now, I'm not trying so much to keep this quote-unquote fair. Fair is not going to be a part of this, okay? What I try to do is just geographically think about, okay, you've got two teams in Tennessee, Texas, and, and Mississippi, so I didn't have Georgia playing both the Mississippi schools in the same cycle or both the Tennessee schools in the same cycle. There are a lot of pieces to this. If Georgia ends up playing Vandy and Tennessee in the same cycle, so what? It doesn't matter. But just for the purposes of me splitting up, that made sense in my brain for Georgia without having to consider any other teams in the league. So that's the way I did it. Now, um, again, it doesn't really matter for the purposes of what I'm about to do. This is All this preamble here has been to lead to this moment. If we broke it up that way, This is Georgia's schedule in year one of the cycle. And I'm not doing home and away, but you'd flip home and away in year three, right? Like, that makes sense. Year one, Georgia would play Florida, Auburn, South Carolina, Vandy, Ole Miss, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, and Kentucky. In year two, Georgia would play Florida, Auburn, and South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, LSU, and Oklahoma. Do you see now, just listening to that, do you hear how amazing this is going to be? There's no scenario that you can come up with that the rotating people on Georgia Scott, so every year you're going to play Florida, every year you're going to play Auburn, every year you're going to play South Carolina, but then you're going to at least play two of Alabama, LSU, A&M, Texas, Oklahoma. This means that once every four years, all five of those teams are coming to Athens. 
instead of Vandy being here every other year. That's really what this means for a Georgia fan. If you are tired of coming to the Georgia-Kentucky game in Athens or the Georgia-Vanderbilt game in Athens or God knows the Georgia-Missouri game in Athens, how would you like to see Oklahoma play between the hedges? How would you like to see Texas? How would you like to see LSU every other, you know, every couple of years? This is going to be so much better on every single level. Now, obviously, the difficulty of the schedule, you know, could be a concern when you consider that Georgia is also scheduled home and homes uh, with Clemson, UCLA, Florida State, and Ohio State in the next 10 years. But in the world of the 12-team playoff, one or two losses is not going to eliminate a team from the title picture. So it's safer to schedule these games because, you know, you don't want to lose them, but if you do, it's not going to wreck your whole season. To extrapolate Georgia's schedule across the conference, every single week there is going to be at least one game that would be the biggest game in the conference in 2023. There are going to be matchups like Georgia-Oklahoma, LSU-Texas, Alabama-Florida, Ole Miss-Tennessee, even those intra-conference games that we don't get that often because of the current rotation schedule. You're going to get great games like that every single week. If Alabama and Florida were playing this upcoming year with all of their stuff, that's probably the SEC, the CBS game, right? Well, that game's just going to happen every other year now. It's it's going to be absolutely awesome. The SEC schedule is just going to be amazing. Now, I don't know how quickly the league office is going to get the schedule out, but I would assume it's going to come out sometime before the start of the 2023 season, which means we're sitting here in February Sometime in the next six months, we're going to see on paper just how awesome this schedule is going to be. And my prediction is that when the schedule comes out, I will come on this show and tell you that every single week in the 2024 season, college game day would be 100% justified going to an SEC game. Because I think that's how good week in and week out the conference schedule is going to be. I think there's going to be a marquee game every single week. I think there's going to be two or three games underneath that every single week that's going to be absolutely fantastic. The reality is no matter what you think about the tradition of college football, it's not so much a tradition as it was that that was what was normal when you were going through your formative years as a college football fan. So I've seen a lot of Georgia fans complain that Tennessee and Georgia aren't going to be playing every year. That, that That's a break with tradition. Well, sort of, but that tradition only started in 1992. You know, people that love college football in the 60s would tell you that, you know, it, it was much better when only conference champions made bowl games. But uh, they're wrong. Now we got so many bowl games that we can have one where the winning coach gets mayonnaise poured on his head. Just because there's so many games, why after one of them, let's just pour some mayonnaise on the winning coach. Just take a moment and say, can you see Bo Schembechler or Bear Bryant winning a bowl game and having mayonnaise poured over their heads? No, you cannot. But now that I said it out loud, don't you kind of want to? Wouldn't you just love to see that hound's tooth hat that Bear Bryant wore covered in mayonnaise? Why? Because you won a game. That's awesome. College football is awesome, and it's only getting better. The reality is that the history of college football is a history of change. The game changes every 10 or 15 years. So, you know, if you don't believe me, just Google College Football National Championship and look at the Wikipedia page. There's a little column on the right, 
that shows the pre the, the 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 predecessor of each of like of the current college football playoff model. So before you had the college football playoff, you had the BCS. Before the BCS, you had the Bowl Alliance. Before the Bowl Alliance, you had the Bowl Committee or something stupid like that. The point is, there's been four different methods of choosing bowl participation and national champions since 1992. That's four methods in 30 years. Conferences have expanded consistently during that time. Some conferences that existed in 1992 don't even exist now. RIP Big East. We're about to go into an era where the USC is in the Big Ten. Okay, so we just have to accept that this is what college football is. It keeps changing. You need to stop fighting it. You need to stop worrying about what we're losing and just focus on what we're gaining. 2024 is going to be the greatest season in the history of college football until 2025. And that is the point of the era that we are getting ready to go into. It is going to be as good as it gets if you love college football. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know if you did. I hope you and your family are doing well. Have a wonderful day. And as always, go dog.